Welcome to another edition of the It's Cavalier podcast. It's your boy, Mac. Joining me, as always, is my co-host, Corey Walsh of Fear the Sword. What's going on, brother? Not much. It's an apocalyptic uh, day <laughs> for NBA Twitter. We all came out of hibernation to the Dame news. Yeah, I mean, dude, we're so close. I think 28 days to the start of regular season action for the Cavs. And we knew we've been waiting for Dame news for what feels like an eternity. And we finally got, uh, you know, an answer today. And this three-team trade involving the uh, Portland Trailblazers, obviously the Milwaukee Bucks, who Dame was moved to unexpectedly. And the, uh, and the Phoenix Suns, who swiped in and took advantage of that and for me man i'm just looking at the details of that trade <sighs> portland receives drew holiday who is likely to be rerouted if i'm not mistaken um they got deandre aiden was a solid pickup for them uh tumani kamara and a 2028 first round pick swap from milwaukee and a 2029 first round pick from milwaukee as well as a 2030 first round pick swap so Corey, these are like super far out. Um, I'll, I'll ask your opinion about everybody here in just a second. But Milwaukee, obviously, their big takeaway, the star of this whole trade revolved around, you know, Damian Lillard. So, and that's a great addition for them. Um, didn't cost an exorbitant amount if you count Drew Holiday as such uh, and Grayson Allen as well. And then Phoenix Suns received Yusuf Nurkic, Nazir Little, Keon Johnson, and the aforementioned Allen. Just to touch on this a little bit, man, do you feel like this trade kind of worked out for everybody, or is there a clear-cut winner here, or how are you feeling about this? Well, the main winner is Tyler Hero, who gets to <laughs> remain in his South Beach residency for God knows how long till Pat, Pat Riley can successfully send him elsewhere. But all jokes aside, I feel like the Bucks addressed an issue that Chris Middleton honestly is not the healthiest player in the league. So they need someone who's going to consistently be able to put points on the board against with Giannis. But at the same time, they've also now assembled a age, their aged roster kind of got older. It feels like, because I feel like drew holiday had more long-term value. I think he'll, he'll age more gracefully than Damian Lillard will. And even though Damian Lillard is obviously this like for the next two two, three seasons, the bucks are going to be arguably the best team in the East because they have a strong starting five and their bench might not be the deepest, but that starting five is potent enough that the East had not really a clear favorite he heading into this season, but the bucks now have clearly established themselves as that. So that's a win on their end. And Portland will definitely get good value from Drew Holiday because the minute that trade happened, it almost just seemed like that was the route they were going to go because they already have so many young guards. They have three on their roster that they all want to give minutes to. And then you throw Drew Holiday, who can't be on the bench. So you <laughs> he just don't to, fit the timeline. No, it, it kind of worked out the same way when he was on the Pelicans where it's just a young group and he's just already the odd man out before even going to the media day <laughs> and he will definitely be rerouted for probably more young players and picks so the Blazers did a pretty decent job getting a third team in there with the Suns who can give them good young players to build around as well and the Suns just 
their main question was how are they going to add depth to this roster and between free agency and trades, they've definitely added a decent amount of depth to that team to where I don't think there should be any questions if they're deep enough. Now, now it's how is Frank Vogel going to muster a good defense out of this lineup? Because having Nurkic and Bradley Beal, like on pick and roll situations alone Uh is a nightmare. (laughs) I think somebody pointed it out earlier with Aiden and spe- uh, specifically, you know, with so many ball dominant players there in Phoenix, you kind of needed a guy at that five spot who was a willing passer or a guy who was willing to just accept whatever role offensively that uh, was going to be given to him. And I just don't think that that was going to be Aiden. So it's not necessarily for me, like terms of Yusuf Nurkic is a better player than a DeAndre Aiden, but rather fit. So I think I like the addition of Nurkic there. I also like how Aiden might potentially fit in Portland. And this is a rare three-team trade. I feel like that everybody walked out a little bit better, Uh, you know, or at least everybody walked out with something that they wanted. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you think that with this current core or this current big three, rather, that Milwaukee has, that they are just the instant favorites in the Eastern Conference now? Because that's where all the talk is. Like, all across the spectrum on Cavs Twitter and across social media in general, I've constantly seen people thrown about, you know, how this is going to affect A or B or C any any terms of teams outside of Milwaukee and how this is going to affect the tiers in the East. Do, do, in short, do you think this makes them the, uh, the the number one seed? I don't know if it makes them the number one seed, but it definitely makes them my playoff favorite because I think it's going to take a while for this roster to gel. It's not going to be one of those things where the Bucks just walk in at a score first ball, ball dominant guard like Damian Lillard. And it's just going to smooth itself out right away, especially because like I said before, the Bucks are an older roster, which means they're bound to get injuries that we're just not expecting and they'll have to work around. But The Cavs' path to the one seed shouldn't really be that disrupted by this move because the Cavs' additions were relatively minor compared to... They shouldn't like shake the locker room the way that both the Celtics and the Bucks trades did with getting rid of Marcus Smart for Przingis for Boston, seeing how that's going to shake out, and seeing what Damian Lillard's addition and the subtraction of quality perimeter defense does to Milwaukee... I think that they prob. I was always teetering between Boston and Milwaukee for who would probably be my Eastern Conference playoff favorite. And I think this Dame trade could be recency bias, but it definitely is making me feel more confident in theirs because I just don't know what the formula or what the game plan for Boston is going to look like on a night to night basis. Like it's kind of nice in theory to think that moving Derek white to the point guard and slotting in Porzingis at the five is going to solve all their problems. <laughs> but I felt like their problems relied more in ball handling and guard play than it did in big men production felt they got a good use out of their bigs last year. But um, yeah, no long story short, the Cavs shouldn't be affected in the regular season, but I didn't really think, I don't know if I really believe they would beat a Milwaukee or Boston in the postseason anyway. I think mm-hmm. they're like a year or two away from that. So I think it's not really uh, outlandish to say that Milwaukee should be the Eastern Conference favorites going into the postseason. That's kind of where I'm at, and specifically in regards to the Cavs. Like, people, I don't know if there's this notion out there, bro, that 
that the Cavs were going to be title contenders this year anyways. Uh, like you said, I think we're, our window hasn't even technically opened yet, in my opinion. Um, still a lot of internal development to go through. And we still got to see how this current group gels with some of the pieces that we've added in, especially you know, when you're ta- talking about a new starter at the three in Max Struess. And, uh, you know, George Niang playing pretty de- a decent role on the bench. So we just got some questions that need to be answered. But if you were looking for Cleveland to, to beat Milwaukee anyways prior to this trade in a seven-game series, it was not likely to happen anyway. Um, with their new look, I don't know. You, you look at Dame. I think Dame is 33. Um, Brooke is 35. Uh, Giannis, he'll be 29 here soon. And I want to say that uh, Middleton is 32. So there's their, their core is definitely aging, and their window is not going to be a super long uh, a super long window like we see a lot of times with these big super teams that are being put together who have like longevity on their side in terms of being able to contend for multiple seasons. Um, it helps them that Dame is under contract for a few more years. And I'm sure the biggest thing here was like making Giannis feel like, hey, we're doing shit to make you want to stay like this. We're not going to pull a LeBron, you know, a, a Cleveland front office on you in your first tenure here and, and just not give you enough support. We want you to feel like we are doing everything in our power to field a competent championship contending roster around you. And I'm sure that now he probably feels that way. But this is also a gamble on their part, too. Like we we are. We've seen how many games that Dame has missed over the past couple of seasons. We know that Brooke Lopez isn't getting any younger. Middleton, um, he has not quite back to himself just yet. And then there's defensive questions, especially in the backcourt, with while they've lost Drew Holiday and Javon Carter to a lesser degree uh, earlier in the offseason. So they got some question marks. But uh, I, I say all this to say, man, I'm – I'm very curious to see how this uh, how this pans out for them. Like, um, I wasn't necessarily feeling like Cleveland was going to leapfrog them anyway, but I think they just took a big step uh, forward, and I think they kind of separated themselves from everybody else in the East. Yeah, Giannis just needed another playoff uh, wingman, and he got arguably a 1B with Damian Lillard. <laughs> yeah. It's not really like a 2, so... It'll be interesting to see. This will be a different iteration of a Bucks offense. It's interesting to see how Budenholzer will handle this. I don't know if I have the most faith faith in the world that Budenholzer is the coach to kind of figure out this problem. I think once all the like smiles and like media stuff and like a fresh face atmosphere is in Milwaukee kind of fades away and it turns into a, hey man, we're we're 50 games into the season and we're like 26 and 24 like worst case scenario i don't know if mike boonholzer is going to be the type to be like all right guys i i've spent all night thinking about this so let's just rock with this thing i got because i i think boonholzer's title really kind of bought him uh that was the only way i felt like he was going to keep his job in that season and thank god for him that they won it but i i wouldn't be surprised if they may they may struggle in the postseason this year and immediately they're just going to kick the can on Budenholzer and bring in someone else. <laughs> yeah. I mean, for me, I just, you know, I look at it and you got to Corey. Remember he was canned. <laughs> they got rid of him uh, back in May. But uh, yeah, I just, 
they got a lot of question marks there to figure out. Um, we'll have to see how it all pans out. But from a Cleveland perspective, I'm still feeling relatively confident about our chances. And I guess we can go ahead and use that as our segue into our first question from our mailbag, as this is a mailbag episode, right? Question one, and these are all coming from Twitter or X. Uh, I don't, I still don't know what the hell to call that anymore. Um, comes from GYW. Do you see the Cavs hopping into another multi-team trade before the season? I'm just going to say no. I think we're about done with trades for now. Yeah, I think silly season's kind of over. Um, the Cavs' best hope to be the third team was if another superstar trade is like outwardly in the works. I feel like when the Cavs are aware that there's a possibility that some – rosters need finagling so the Cavs can kind of squeak in see what they can get for throwing out like a second round pick helping out another team i don't really see that happening right now i think you're if uh you want to be hopeful that they could do it i would say probably trade deadline would be the next time to kind of look around because i'm not going to say the Cavs wouldn't do it i just don't think there is even an opportunity to and i think before you jump to like knee jerk reactions, they kind of need to see what this roster looks like in the moment because they did just add a bunch of key rotational pieces. So I think in their mind, they're kind of hoping they don't need to, but they won't be afraid to if they decide it seems fit to do so. Yeah. I mean, that's perfectly normal. I think we have to see what the on court product looks like at this point. Like we knew heading into the 2023, 20, 24 season, off season rather, that we needed to address some areas. And I feel like we've done that to a, for the most part. Um, you know, you got Max Struess to add spacing to the starting lineup. You got George Niang who can come in at the backup four position and is an absolute scorcher from three point range. Um, you have to see what these new additions are able to do. And that's not even really factoring in a player like Ty Jerome, who may in fact take over for Ricky Rubio whenever we find out whatever the hell is going on with Rubio. Um, you know, Damian Jones could get some run. Uh, Amani Bates, you know, there's just a lot of names to throw out there. But I think for the most part right now, I don't see Cleveland hopping into any deals unless it's just a I can't miss thing or, or Kobe is able to snag some type of picks because we know we need to replenish that. Um, but I mean, we still got some time left before the season starts. So who knows? All right, man. Next question comes from dog pound dad. What is the eight to nine man rotation to start this season? Corey, you want to take a crack at this for us uh, first? Sure. Uh, I would think no shocker for the starting five. I think it's just going to be DG, <laughs> uh, Donovan Mitchell, Max Struess, Evan Mobley, and Jared Allen to round out the five. I think. So you mean Amani Bates is not starting at the three? You know, I was thinking about it for spiciness <laughs> and to recover from uh, the Budenholzer snafu, you know, to bring those listeners back that left when they realized <laughs> I didn't realize. Good, man. It's all good. I, I didn't want to interrupt you. I just didn't want to do it. I, I would have just rather been interrupted. <laughs> um, yeah, no. And then uh, I'd probably, yeah, Lover at the six. And then uh, Okoro at the seven and Yang eighth would be how I would do the one through eight for this who, team. Who is the elusive ninth man? Cause I think that's where most of the questions are going to be. Like, is it going to be Dean Wade is uh Ty Jerome going to get in there? Damian Jones. 
I think it'll be um, kind of similar to last season where it's just matchup oriented. Like what do the Cavs need more depth in, in that given game? I mean, there's going to be games where we're going to have to play a, a big at some point to give the boys some rest. And I, I personally don't think I'm going to love seeing Niang play a lot of the four for subbing out. I don't know. I can't think of a bigger defensive downgrade from Evan Mobley than to go to George Niang. I think that's going to get very aggravating very quickly. But I also know that the Cavs have a lot of tools in the tool chest right now that they can throw. It doesn't feel like it's like throwing out a prayer with that ninth man, just hoping one of them will catch fire in any of the given games. So I'd say, right, I think it's going to be situational. I can't really, I don't think they're going to have an exact man play those ninth minutes, but who knows? It's JB. He might fall in love with someone <laughs> in camp and then they will constantly have those minutes unless he, they disappoint him. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a great way to put it. Um, like you said, the starting five is basically solidified, assuming uh, that Max Struess is going to be your starter at the three. I think that's safe to say Max Struess is the guy. It's not likely to be a Coro. It's not likely to be Levert. Uh, no you know, disrespect to those two guys. But the spacing that uh, Struess provides, I think that's that was your big acquisition in the offseason. You better start. Uh, and then you gave up so- assets for him. Right. <laughs> Jetty and Lamar. <laughs> God damn it, Boston. <laughs> uh, it's an exhibit 10. He might not make it. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Um, <clears throat> sixth man is Karis LeVert, who we're hoping can make some sixth man of the year noise this season with a solidified role. Uh, you know, Isaac Okoro is going to get his run. George Niang is undoubtedly going to play. So that's one through eight right there. And then again, like you said, the ninth man could kind of be a toss up depending upon what is needed most at the moment, whether you need a more traditional big throw Damian Jones out there. You need some more floor spacing from a guy you, you think you can depend on for spot minutes in Dean Wade. Uh, you know, there's just, there's a couple of options here that JB is going to be able to work with. Like my biggest thing, bro, is that I hope, I, I really hope with all my heart that JB just, ex, just extends her rotation out past eight players. That's my hope. Like nine to 10 at sometimes. So that's the point of the regular season is to give guys tread. And if we're just burning out our tires by the time the postseason comes, don't be surprised if we <laughs> get our ass whooped for a second year in a row when our players are all gassed. Yeah, I, I do not want to see many 38, 39 minute nights from guys like Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell. Um, you know, I get these guys are young, but you have the talent on the roster now. You have some more versatility. You you got to use it. Especially with the big men. We can't be burning them out because it's very evident we don't really have a serviceable playoff big on this roster as a backup. Hey, don't disrespect my boy Double T. <laughs> I will completely disrespect Double uh, T. Um, I'm very curious to see whether or not Double T actually gets like a uh, a solidified role at any point this season. He like, will. Cheerleader. Moving on. <laughs> moving on. Question three comes from everything Cavs. Do we think that – do we keep that 15th roster spot open like Kobe usually does, or do we sign a player? If so, which player you think will get that last roster spot? Go ahead, Corey. I feel like if anyone's going to get it, it's just going to be one of our two-way players will probably get converted to that 15th spot. I don't think if you're leveraging who is a more valuable signing, whatever is left on the free agency market versus the guys we have on the two-ways, there's much more upside on those two-way players. 
between Mobley, Bates, and Porter Jr. than there is on any of the other. Uh, at least on like a bare bones look at who's left, it's not very promising. I don't know if there's even really many projects that teams want to undertake at this point because if there were, they probably have been claimed for either other teams two ways or they've been claimed for uh, Exhibit 10s or st- something similar to that. But yeah, no, I, I think they'll keep it open. And then if they decide they really like what they're seeing, like 20 games into the season in practices from any of those three that I just mentioned, then I think that's where it's more likely going to be. I don't think it's going to, or if there's an injury that they kind of have to readjust, like if Levert got hurt in like the first month or so, and they kind of feel like they need to sign someone else just to kind of move the rotation down a spot and then insert, bench player number 15 if they really need to yeah i'm like for me right now i think it'll be a conversion uh if if it's anybody i think it's going to be a monty bates possibly maybe an isaiah mobley um i i really would like to see craig porter jr up at the 15 man roster but i just think with the amount of guards that we have that's just probably not going to happen anytime soon especially if ricky rubio up and decides to come back so i think it's probably going to boil down to converting one of Isaiah Mobley or Amani Bates, who honestly I'm, I'm rooting for that. I'm rooting that either one of those two guys gets an opportunity, but I would be ecstatic if Amani Bates just completely lit it up in preseason action uh, and, and was given an opportunity. But uh, yeah, I, you just look at the free agent market right now. There's just not a lot of great options left. You, you're talking the Will Bartons, the Terrence Davises, George Hills of the world. And you, you already brought in the, you know, Tristan Thompson as a, as a veteran presence. So I don't know if you want to go that route I, or, you know, they could, they could necessarily go the route of keeping it open as uh, everything Cavs suggests here. And we've, we know that we have seen them do that in the couple of seasons past. Hey man, why not just bring back the good times that George Hill brought us in those 2018 finals? Just why not just go ahead nuts. and uh, go ahead and bring J.R. Smith back then? <laughs> I mean, uh, Why not just bring both of them back and have them reenact the play at halftime? There you go. Uh, if that means at least the finals appearance, I, I might consider it. Uh, I don't know if JR is going to help instill uh, some maturity amongst the youths. No, I'll have everybody taking their shirts off. <laughs> that's that's what will end up happening. Uh, next question up here comes from Funkable1944. What would a successful year for Evan Mobley's development look like in your eyes, whether from an eye test perspective, he improved on this action skill, et cetera, or from a statistical standpoint? Want to take a crack at that one? Sure. Um, I feel like the common perception among, or the common uh, at the trait that they Cavs fans feel like from what I read that they want Mobley to grow, it's constantly the, Oh, well, if he can just shoot the three point ball, like his game will become infinitely better and (laughs) he'll be the best, one of the best offensive players in the league. And I feel like I don't, as much as like, as I'm not saying the three point ball isn't important for players in general, but I feel like Mobley's level that he's at now to becoming a good three point shooter is way farther away than his ability to bring the ball up the court, improve his handle and operate as an offensive hub from the elbow. I feel like that's kind of where Mobley can become a unique player in his own right. He doesn't need to be a knockdown shooter. If he can stress defenses in different ways than just simply shooting and spreading the floor. 
And I think with the Cavs additions of Niang and Struess, they really added perimeter talent. So that should really help alleviate the stress of Mobley needing to be a better shooter from the across, uh, from behind the arc. And if he operates from the hub, he can also open things up offensively for this team in different ways. I mean, we see he has superior vision for a power forward and a center that he sees stuff that guards most seat. And, and I feel like it would only benefit Darius and Donovan and it allow them to, I know they don't necessarily love to play off ball. They really don't really aren't that active off ball, but if you had someone like Mobley who can give you good feeds to the basket, get wide open lanes created for these guys, it would really improve and help and kind of show the value of the off season additions as well. Yeah. I mean, I'm right there with you. I think, Honestly, you know, we are we talked about this a lot when Donovan Mitchell was first brought on board about how that could potentially um not necessarily stunt the development of Evan Mobley but kind of uh kind of slow it down from at least an offensive standpoint without the added opportunities that he may have received without Donovan being on the roster. Now with the addition of Struess with the addition of Niang, um it like you said, it's not as necessary for him to immediately develop that long ball. Um, it would be nice. I mean, I'd love to see that shit like this season, but it's not necessarily something that absolutely has to happen. It just that those additions take the pressure off of him in that regard and really the entire offense. That's not to say that you don't want to see him at it again, but there are other areas in his game from an offensive standpoint that you would like to see him continue to work on i.e. the mid-range, um, continue to attack down there in the low post, uh, continue to run the floor, uh, you know, have a game plan when you're actually attempting to bring the ball up the floor, which I'm hoping we don't see too much of this offseason. Uh, work on that handle. There's just a lot of things from an offensive perspective that I think Mobley can work on uh, outside of that long ball, which I feel like everybody hyper-focuses on. Um, and then like from a defensive standpoint, how much more can Mobley elevate in your opinion? It's just like, I, I don't know. Like he almost nearly won defensive player of the year. So um, it, do you think all of his improvements are likely going to be made on the offensive inquiry? I think they're more noticeable on the offensive end because he's already at such a high skill level defensively that these are going to be like small nitpicks, not even like nitpicks if they're positives, but It'll, you'll really need to pay attention to see the like slight differences, like upward trends he makes in various areas. But I, I think we all agree that like if we bar charted Mobley's offensive production versus defense, it's like defense is like at the one hundredth percentile, and offense is like teetering between like fifty and sixty. Like there's still a lot of room to grow. It doesn't. He, he probably won't hit the aspirations that everyone has for him offensively, and that's fine. He's still going to be a very, very, very good player in his own right. He just doesn't need to be the KG son <laughs> that many thought he was going to be in on draft day. Yeah, I mean, that is that is literally the thing. Like, the bar is not, like super high from an offensive standpoint, the way it may have been prior to acquiring Mitchell. Um, you really think about it. This man put up 16.2 points per game on pretty good efficiency, 55.4% from the field, 
you know, the three point percentage at 21.6% is what it is, but he still managed to do that while looking pretty clumsy at times and just kind of looking roll. Um, you know, I, I just, I feel that if he continues to put his head down and work, it will definitely come. But from a statistical standpoint, I think maybe uh, somewhere around 18 points per game this season is definitely something that is within the realm of possibility. Does he climb towards 20 points per game? I, I don't honestly think so, especially with the addition of Struess. Um, And then, you know, Jared Allen, you know, is, gonna, is still there. Uh, he'll get his lob opportunities. So I think maybe 18 points per game, 10 rebounds, finally clearing double-double status, and then facilitating, like you said, like being able to run a little bit more offense through him at times, uh, allowing him to operate from the elbow. Uh, you know, like we saw kind of Isaiah Mobley do during summer league action was pretty awesome. Um, just being able to put him in positions to succeed, but that is really going to fall on JB Bickerstaff, in my opinion, and how he opts to utilize some of these pieces now that we have. Uh, but yeah, 18 points per game, 10 rebounds, three assists. I think that's possible this season. Uh, next question comes from Cleveland Fan 020. Who is your breakout player this year? Corey, I've been putting you on the spot, so I guess <laughs> I'll go ahead and go first. Um, this is a tough one and because I feel like, you know, everybody who may be in a position to have a breakout is not likely to see heavy minutes. Uh, Darius Garland, I know he is a dark horse candidate to have a mini breakout, um, if you can really even call it that. You know, maybe a couple more points per game, a couple more assists, height deficiency. But he's already so damn good. I don't know if, like, what a breakout looks for him. Uh, looks like for him rather. And then, you know, Donovan Mitchell just experienced one of his best seasons yet. Um, and, you know, Evan Mobley obviously is probably the obvious one, but we just got done talking about him. So I can't shed too much light uh, outside of what we've already done. So I'm going to take uh, the Isaac Coral route because I feel like the, the additions of Struess, the additions of Niang and having a solidified role off the bench and not necessarily having to play out of position like he has the last couple of seasons is really, really going to help him. Like the added spacing, I think, really going to do wonders. Um, really, my only question is how much run is he actually going to get? Because we've seen his minute totals decline each season he's been in the league, and we've only added more talent to the roster. So um, I'm, I'm very curious to see what his actual role will be with the team. But if I had to pick a player for a breakout, I think it is a Coro because you started to see him trend upward in terms of his three point efficiency as the season wore on. Uh, but, you know, obviously, low volume. And so the opportunities are not as flush as they may have been in the past. And, you know, we already know how how that's been for him. The opportunities were already lacking. So it's kind of a chicken and egg thing. But I'm I'm going to put my best foot forward, Corey. I'm going to say Isaac Okoro is my breakout candidate. How about you? I pretend to be shocked that that was your pick. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we all knew this was going to be my pick for this. You're like, when you saw that question, you're like, huh, you mean who's my top? What's uh, Isaiah? Cor- oh, my God. Isaac Okoro's breakout play. It's Isaac. It's Isaac. It's Isaac. Anyways, um, uh, I feel like it's a weird answer because uh-huh. I'm not saying this player is going to like jump into superstardom. I think a lot of players on the Cavs don't have a lot of window to mm-hmm. – Breakout. I think they all can grow 
in a small way, but it's a super impactful small chunk. It's kind of like completing them into well-rounded players. But I feel like the recipe is there for Max Struess to truly simple. Like the Cavs are giving him an opportunity to simplify his game enough where all he has to do are the things he excels at. I know in Miami, he was pretty much just a stand and we'll, (laughs) we'll operate our offense and just be a movement three point shooter. Just get to the spot, be our Duncan Robinson because Duncan Robinson was God awful in the regular season and then came alive in the postseason. So you kind of, I think the Cavs would greatly benefit from players who want to operate off ball to get open looks. I mean, Jetty Osmond felt so impactful in certain games and he overall was not a great shooter. He just was willing to take shots that off ball that no one else on the roster was willing to do. So when he had good games, it felt like we had a fourth, like, elite shooter on the roster in that game. And now I think with Max Struess, as long as he carries similar shooting numbers from Miami, he's surrounded by more offensive talent than he was in Miami. There's a lot less needed of him, but also at the same time, the only thing that's really needed of him is to keep defenses honest and have attention drawn to him because that's something that the Cavs haven't had at the three position in a while, especially from the perimeter. I mean, Karras at the three offered some threats, but let's face it, Karras is not like a great three-point shooter either. Okoro, I, I feel like the Cavs kind of set him up to fail when he's in the three position because he they yeah. don't really have him do much besides stand there, and he's an athletic player, and they don't really uh, draw stuff up that kind of benefits his ability to attack the rim. And I think as long as the Cavs coaching staff really is like, hmm, you know, we did invest a serious amount of money in Max Struess. Maybe mm-hmm. we should uh, generate some offensive plays that get him some good off-ball looks, catch-and-shoot opportunities. And I feel like if the Cavs are going to be the team that we all hope for them to be this year, it needs to come off the back that the Max Struess signing not only was a valid signing, but the Cavs build – their offensive playbook with the idea that they've added volume shooters and they want to get these volume shooters, good looks to also alleviate pressure off of the two guards. Yeah. I mean, I love that answer. I thought you were going to go the Karis LeVert route for some reason. I thought you were going to say Karis LeVert after saying a strange answer. Um, But I love Max Struess as a potential breakout candidate because, you know, we forget that Max has only been in the league for about four seasons now. Um, he, he's an older guy out there at uh, 26, 27 years old, if I'm not mistaken. But he hasn't been in the league for a, a terribly long period of time. So there's still the potential for a breakout for him. And then, like you said, man, you hit the nail on the head. Um, if he brings that gravity, and that's the word that I, I love to throw out there in regards to um, a shooter like him. Even if he's not converting at like a scorching level just having that defensive attention that was just not present last year like you said that will pay dividends for the backcourt and really the front court too it'll open up the floor for everybody um open up some passing lanes open up some driving lanes uh but for me it just going to be it's going to come down to whether or not he hits those shots um 41% the season prior 
35% this past season from three-point range, but terrific volume taking six, seven threes a game, which we know, you know, no disrespect to Isaac, who was starting to trend upward, like I said, but he just never had the volume there to suggest that you could truly rely upon him to consistently make three-point shots. Uh, Karis LeVert, although he made a career high of his three-pointers last season at, I believe, 39.2%, if I'm not mistaken, um, he still was not being paid attention to at nearly anything close to the level Struess was. Like, if, as I'm looking here, um, you know, very few of his shot attempts were actually tightly defended. Just 0.2 of his three-point uh, three point attempts were actually tightly defended. Nobody – not maybe that's overselling a little bit. <laughs> not enough people were paying attention to Karis LeVert, which probably helped him increase that three-point percentage, getting those wide-open looks. Struess could benefit from having the backcourt of Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell out there opposite him. Um, it, for me, the gravity that he brings, that speaks volumes. And I think that is what will potentially help him possibly break out. But what, from a statistical standpoint, Corey, what does an actual breakout look like for Struess? I don't think it needs to be like a massive point jump. I think if the Cavs can get like 12 to 14 points a game from Max Struess and it's on efficient numbers, it doesn't feel like kind of like you'll look, it, it shouldn't be a number where the, it shouldn't pop off the box score in order for it to be a breakout season. You just need to dive deeper into the true shooting numbers and see if the volume of shots is a valuable asset to this team because. That was arguably the most valuable thing that Jetty brought last season was the volume shooting. And like I said, when it, it when it was a good game from Jetty, it felt seismic and its impact. And I feel like we're just going to get a lot more of those types of nights from Max Drews. And it won't feel like where we would come on this podcast and then be like, oh, man, when is this Jetty hot streak going to end? Because <laughs> It's either it was an, an insane high or an insane low, and there was mm-hmm. no in between. And Max Drews brings a lot more stability to that type of role, and he's going to start. So he's going to get a lot more minutes than Jetty Osmond would. He's just not going to be kind of feel like JB's offensive experiment on night to night. It should just be a solid built out role and a really good buoy for this offense if it has off nights and knows where it can turn to. Exactly. And then like, I, I cannot stress this enough. People are going to have to give some patience uh, in regards to this new look starting five. Like if Struess doesn't come out the gate, knocking down a ton of threes, it's okay. The gra- as long as he's providing gravity and he's showcasing enough to make you feel like this will potentially work. Uh, don't panic. Uh, and that's for me. Like you just, you got to remain patient here. If they, if Struess comes out shooting like uh, 30, 33% right out the gate in his first couple of games as a Cav, don't panic. <laughs> don't press <laughs> the panic button and say, hey, we need to go back to Levert. Hey, we need to start a Coro. Uh, just give him some time. Um, and I think he's really going to impress a lot of people. Now, I've seen so many people suggest that Max is no different than from uh, from Jetty, but I just I find that truly hard to believe. No. <laughs> uh, that said, let's go ahead and move it right along here. This next question comes from L.A. Brodus. Uh, do you see Jarrett improving, or has he hit his ceiling? 
I feel like Jarrett had a down year last year, so I don't know if I think he's going to improve per se, but I think it's fair to think that he could just return to the season we saw two years ago. And that doesn't mean I feel like he's going to be an all-star again. I think the East is too deep to kind of assume players are going to be all-stars. It really is going to be your have to have some, either some career year or your team's going to have to be one of the top three in the East. I think the Cavs could be a top three team in the East come all-star break time, but I don't necessarily think J.A. is going to go to the all-star game again, but I digress uh, to get from getting away from the question here. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if Jared's going to really improve. I think offensively he could find different ways to add value besides being an elite rim running big who is able to, he's a, I think he's a better passer than he gets credit for. And I feel like he just needs to not, like expand his range, but just stretch out his mid range shot. I feel like he has teased that a little bit that he has that available. So if he can put up more of those shots at good value, then that would be where I see him improving defensively. I think he is fantastic and I don't, it sounds like the Mobley answer, but I don't know if I really see much improvement coming from that end. So Sorry to answer your question <laughs> so like vaguely, but no, I I don't see a lot. I feel like if it's offensively, it's only going to be in like a few spots. Defensively, probably not, and that's not a bad thing either. Yeah, dude. Like in a vacuum here, I feel like we've gotten to the point often where we kind of nitpick Jared Allen a little bit too much. Not you necessarily, but like certain individuals out there who are really, really fucking low on Jared Allen. And it's just like, dude, this guy is basically giving you back-to-back seasons, which he's put up a double-double. He's literally in back-to-back seasons now where he has finished in the top 15 in both offensive and defensive rating. I don't know if people are aware of that. He was actually fourth in defensive rating last season. The man can still play basketball. He just had a terrible showing in the playoffs as a lot of other Cavaliers did. Uh, Strictly speaking from, you know, a basketball, like on court skill, uh, a skill standpoint, Jared Allen kind of is what he is, right? Like you pointed to it. There are still, still things he could possibly add to his game, even at, you know, the point that he is now Uh, would like to see him add a mid range pull up. Um, something he has kind of toyed with in the past. Um, I don't ever truly see Jared developing a, any semblance of a consistent three-point jump shot. Um, but crazier things have happened. Um, from a statistical standpoint, as I just said, dude is basically giving you a double-double and catching lobs and doing putbacks. Uh, there is at virtually no offense being run through him. So he's he's still going to get opportunities like that. But I as you continue to see Evan Mobley ascend, um, you continue to see Darius Garland become a better, better and more efficient scorer and playmaker. Uh, and then Donovan Mitchell being in town, obviously, and then the addition of Struess, um, you're not probably going to see a better season than these past two from Jared Allen from a statistical standpoint. His stats are probably likely to stay stagnant or possibly even go down a bit from a scoring perspective as they look to get other guys involved. But like strictly speaking, like from an improvement standpoint, there really 
outside of that mid-range jumper, out the, outside of developing, developing a few more post moves, I just don't know what else he can add to his game from a realistic standpoint. Like we, we talk about the defense already, just like we did with Mobley. Like this guy is is a pretty damn good defender himself, and is very his ability to protect the rim is kind of what is so pivotal to allowing Evan Mobley be such a menace from a defensive standpoint, being able to roam like the two kind of fit hand in hand from a defensive standpoint. The problem is on offense, right? Like we know that they fit very well defensively, but from an offensive standpoint, it's just, it's tough uh, to, to sell improvement uh, on that end from, from Allen. And I know that kind of sucks to say that, but that's just where I'm at with him. Is that to say Jared Allen should be shipped out of town? No, I'm not. I'm not going to get to that point. I'm not nearly as low as some people are on Allen, but I just don't know like what else we can expect from from an improvement standpoint. Um, outside of maybe rebounding, uh, offensive rebounding, something I think that Tristan Thompson being in the locker room now and being able to share some of that knowledge that he has uh, with double, uh, not with double T, but with Jared Allen. I think that's big time, but so much of that is mentality and motor too. So um, I don't know, man. Like that's that's where I'm at with Jarrett, but um, I, I'm very curious to see how he responds to that terrible outing that he had in the playoffs. And then this final question also comes from uh, L.A. Brodis. It is, what type of impact do you see Amani Bates having this season? I'll save the best for last that's a lot to say about uh, a lot to say about base, but Corey, I'm gonna let you go first. I actually feel like it should be better for the viewers if you go first. I don't <laughs> think they're gonna like my answer, so you can go first. <laughs> all right, all right, okay, okay. I won't try to take up too much time here, but I'll start off by saying this: in no way, shape, or form do I think that Amani Bates should be a starter for the Cleveland Cavaliers this season. That's just blasphemy, in my opinion. Not all to right, quote Stephen, Stephen A. Smith. Go off. <laughs> not to not to quote Stephen A. at all, but it's true. It's blasphemy. The dude obviously is raw. He needs some development. But Corey, there is a world in which I see Bates becoming a day one contributor off the bench. And what would have to happen in order for that to be the case? You ask. Well. For one, Bates has to have a phenomenal preseason showing. That's number one, and he has to he has to impress in camp. That's that he has to impress the coaching staff. Number two, other players ahead of him have to be shitty, <laughs> and those other players: Max Struess, Isaac Okoro, Karis LeVert, Dean Wade, to a degree. There are a number of players that uh, that Bates is going to have to outplay in order to even see like the ninth or 10th spot in this rotation, but it is completely possible. I think the offensive skill set they showcased in summer league and to a degree, even though the percentages were not great it, uh, it at Eastern Michigan and Memphis, um, you can clearly see that this young man, and yes, I can say that I feel qualified enough to say that I'm 30 Bates is 19. If I'm not mistaken, um, the young man can shoot the basketball. He is a spot up shooter at at the very least, he can give you that. If they can kick the ball out to him in the corners, we know that you can trust Bates to knock down the open three ball. Um, and we know that he could create his own shot, which can eventually come in handy. Maybe not so much on this current iteration of the Cavs, considering Donovan Mitchell, Darius Garland, Karis LeVert, Ricky Rubio, et cetera, are on the roster. 
Uh, but I do see a realm uh, of possibility for him to immediately contribute in some form or fashion in spot minutes. But a lot of that is going to hinge upon whether or not he's converted, uh, which I feel like might eventually happen. Uh, and then whether or not JB actually feels comfortable enough to give a, you know, a rookie an opportunity because classically he has not done that a lot, um, you know, when forced to, uh, now that we are out of the rebuild. So we'll have to see, but, um, I think the most realistic impact that you'll probably get out of base will probably be not with the Cavs, but with the Cleveland charge. I think that's where his uh, his immediate future lies. Um, I know Richard Jefferson. I know Gilbert Arenas and a slew of other people who would disagree with what I'm saying right now. But dude, I, I like I'm trying to remain. Uh, I'm not going to say realistic because I don't like I said I don't think it's impossible for Bates to uh, to climb into the back end of the rotation. But I'm trying to remain. Uh, Trying to keep my expectations for him a little bit tempered. Uh, how are you feeling about Bates and the impact that he could potentially have this season? I feel like Bates is the uh, the offseason darling of the Cavs. It was kind of like they didn't get – I think Cavs fans didn't really get the splash move. Max Drews and George Niang didn't really do it for most of them. <laughs> so – they view immediately when Bates was drafted, it felt like everyone just went to <clears throat> like hoops hype or some site like that. And was like, Oh man, this guy looks like he could be a starting three and the summer league, those first games throw him away in their mind. That wasn't even on tape. <laughs> <laughs> he only looks like a superstar player. So I feel, I think Bates is going to be a good player. I think he needs more time than I think most people expect to be on the floor and be a contributing NBA player. I think it's going to be completely different, different for him when he's not just going mostly against guys. He just played in college and it's going to be grown ass men who can bully the shit out of him because they're much (laughs) bigger than him. I don't think like Bates is a slim dude and it takes a certain level of player to overcome the like physical, He's a, he has an uphill battle physically in the NBA that I feel like will take a few years for him to get used to that type of contact because I don't even think in summer league we saw many instances of him handle that type of contact well if he was met with it. But I think he'll do well with the charge. I think give him a season with some play in late games for the Cavs, practice with the team, let them see what he's got going on. There could be games where we see that Amani Bates needs to play just because of injury. And I wouldn't be surprised if he gets some minutes in those games, but overall, and I don't think it's a bad thing if this is what happens is that Bates just rarely is seen in a Cavalier uniform. It's not a failure of the draft pick. It's just that this was the, there's a reason he was a second round pick and not a first round pick. And that's because some teams think he still needs to develop a little more before getting to the NBA level. And you don't want him to get them there. (laughs) You don't want him to play NBA ball underdeveloped and then just completely shoot the comp, whatever confidence is there. I don't think he'll lose it, but you don't want the team to kind of look at it and be like, wow, he was really outmatched out there. So for all the Monty Bates fans that are clamoring for him to start, it might actually be best case scenario that he just, 
doesn't play with the Cavs to start the season, period. Yeah, I mean, he's going to be away from the pressure cooker that is like the the rotation this season. Um, I think, like at like I said, at the very least, this man can spot up and knock down some threes. And in summer league action, granted, a very small sample size, and you have to take it with a grain of salt. But he did knock down forty percent from three point range, which I think, like, if there was one skill that you can't necessarily ignore in terms of that type of environment and shooting because i feel like that can carry over to almost any uh, any um any platform that you're on in terms of basketball or that be college at the college level at the g league level at the nba level overseas whatever what have you i think shooting carries um the frame <laughs> like there is real questions about you know how long it's going to take him to add muscle or some type of strength to that frame but if you're just relegated to being a spot up shooter, I don't think that would be necessarily a huge issue. And I think that would, that's what his initial role with this team would be is just, Hey, staying over there in that corner, will get you some shot opportunities. Um, do I think that's going to happen from day one? No, I think especially it's very telling right now that they haven't converted him just yet. Um, and, and that kind of tells you that, Hey, we, we probably want this guy to start his NBA career off in the uh, in the G League with the Cleveland Charge with Mike Garrity and company, which is an excellent place for him to continue to develop, especially on the defensive end. Um, and we know one thing is for certain, and that's that that has actually done very well for guys in the past. Um, Isaiah Mobley, Mobley is obviously still working his way up to the NBA level, but we saw how much improvement from Mobley from one year in the G League, how much that has actually positively impacted his overall game. Although you didn't see the, you know, the three-point percentages that you wanted to see in summer league action this year, you could see that he was more comfortable handling the ball. We could see that he was more comfortable, uh, more comfortable in the low post, uh, on the defensive end. There's just various avenues that being in that type of environment can do for you uh from a developmental standpoint and i think that players like monty bates craig porter jr even mobley himself to a to a standpoint that environment really can help you especially when you just don't have a lot of opportunities in the roster at this point in time with with uh with the caps since they are you know looking to actually head towards contendership you just unfortunately you don't have as many opportunities afforded to you to actually go out there and, and let guys learn on the fly. Um, so I say all that to say Bates is likely to begin his career with the charge. I don't think he's going to have a huge impact with the team, but it's not impossible. But we'll see. To be continued. <laughs> exactly. And that's probably a good stopping point for this mailbag episode because we know that as preseason action begins we'll probably have another one of these with a ton more questions related to the Cavs rotation and Monty Bates probably and we'll probably get a lot of questions out uh seeing him play alongside some of his Cavaliers cohorts so that being said as we always tell you guys if you like to reach out to us you know how to do it it's Cavalier underscore pod on Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, and more. Sorry, X. <laughs> um, if you want to be added to the It's Cavalier Discord chat, you know what to do. Leave a rating, leave a review, send a screenshot of said review to itscavalier53 at gmail.com, and we will send you an invite. That said, go Cavs. Have a good night.